1: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad.
3: All right, good to have you along for the ride. The Oilers practicing today in San Jose. Game against the Sharks tomorrow on 630 Chad. Face-off show will start at 6. The game will start at 8. The two games in the NHL tonight, Senators and Bruins, Capitals and Maple Leafs, both tied at three, both going to the third period, and both series are tied 1-1. In about half an hour, Nashville home to Chicago. The Preds up 2-0 in that best of seven. At 8 o'clock tonight, Anaheim takes a 2-0 series lead into Calgary. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Ched, Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, tomorrow... One series could end. The Penguins up 3-zip on the Blue Jackets. The Jackets will not have Zach Wierenski in that game. He's out for the playoffs. You may have seen uh, how he looked after the puck went up and uh, hit him in the face yesterday. Left the game, the several photos on uh, on the, all over the internet on social media of how he looked, and uh, he's not going to be able to play. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show to talk about that and more. Former NHL defenseman Nathan Dempsey, now the uh, campus director at Vimy Ridge. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Good to talk to you. How have you been, man?
2: I've been fantastic. Reed. Thanks for having me back.
3: Yeah, good to talk to you. Far too long since we've uh, welcomed you back to the show, and uh, you know, I was thinking oh, I got to get Dempsey on again this spring. And then you did something yesterday that said, "Okay, I gotta ask him today," because <laughs> you tweeted, and I and I've uh, retweeted it through my Reed Wilkins account or U R N Dempsey 21 on Twitter, and you put, "Hey, at Zach Baranski, I love your grit. No worries, scars heal." And you posted what can only be described as an alarming photo of an L-shaped scar and a uh, and a bruised eye on your Twitter account. What is the story of that photo?
2: Yeah. That was, uh, that was a while back. That's got to be, uh, well, yeah, probably 20 years ago. I was in the uh, minors in St. John's, Newfoundland playing for Toronto's farm team. And uh, uh, St. John, New Brunswick playing against the Flames. I recall the, the play fairly well where we I was in front of the net and was um, doing my due diligence as a defenseman and clearing the front of the net, possibly doing it uh, somewhat aggressively and somewhat dirty-like uh, and maybe got what I deserved because I ended up cross-checking the guy and his as i cross-checked him to clear the front of the net his skate popped up and as i went down his skate came up and uh... that's what you see there there's about forty seven stitches uh, around my eye very fortunate obviously that it was around the eye and not in the eye and uh... um, you know the the the, the guy that uh... stitched me up in the uh... in the dressing room between uh, between periods did a fantastic job and um, if you were to see me now you uh... you probably wouldn't even uh... wouldn't recognize it so I wanted to make sure that Zach knew that, uh, you know, his modeling career might not be over.
3: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I I assume you weren't wearing a visor, or did the skate come up underneath?
2: No, that was no visor. Um, That was before before they were made mandatory in the American League, and so there wasn't uh, a lot of work. And then uh, I guess it would have been about 10 or 15 years later, I ended up going down. Actually, this is when I was wearing a visor, went down to block a shot, similar... Um, no I guess not similar to what happened to Zach. I actually slide blocked across to block the shot and the guy one time that uh, and it went off my face and I actually ended up breaking my orbital bone similar to to Zach there um, my nose in two places my orbital bone in two places and so um Again, that healed up uh, real nice, and um, you know you move on with life.
3: Uh, I mean, what, what do you? And, and you have moved on, and obviously, I mean, you played in the NHL. You're doing great with Vimy Ridge. But what do you remember? I mean, so you you went back into the game after being stitched up in the intermission.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> the first time, the first time when I got to skate them, um, um, I mean, there was just it was just you know a laceration more than anything else. Um, there was no broken orbital bone or anything on that that time, so you're able to go back in and play. Um, the second time when I broke my orbital bone, um, it was near the end of the game, and so I didn't go back in and play. And then, similar to what's going on with with Zach, is um, he tried to come back and play, but what happens is, um, obviously, with a with a, with a, with your face, <laughs> some bones broken in your face, the swelling just gets to the point where it just shuts your eye, and then anytime your heart rate. Uh, gets going to a certain point, the swelling goes down, or the swelling goes up. And that's exactly what I remember recalling back when I, when I had my injury is When I get my heart rate going, my eye would swell shut. And so you have to wait for it to kind of go away before you're able to come back and play.
3: So when you had the the cut that that is, is pictured on Twitter, so yeah. you go off during the intermission, I mean, look. I know hockey players, pro sports. I think football and hockey probably lead the way. You know, you don't you don't leave the game. You stay in. You don't let your yeah. teammates down. You don't show weakness. But were you sitting there? I mean, what was the awareness of? Oh my God, that was shockingly close to my eye.
2: Yeah, I don't think at the time you don't really recognize it. You know, um, I definitely afterwards <laughs> flying home, and then after you, you know, you. You take a good quick peek at it, and you start thinking about what you know an inch an inch one way or another could have been a different story um you start uh, you start thinking about some stuff, but you know at that point you know you're twenty oh, what i guess it would have been about twenty two or twenty three when that happened and um yeah, you just kind of don't think it's part of the game you move on, and you don't think too much about it but um I think as you you know take some time away from it and you start looking at what could have been. Um, You know, you definitely, if I find a piece of wood to knock on every once in a while, make sure I get a piece of that.
3: Do you remember who the other player was? No, no, I do
2: not, actually. Um, I don't remember. I know he was, like I mentioned, in St. John, New Brunswick, playing against the Flames farm team at the time, but I don't remember.
3: That was 95 or 96, probably, eh?
2: Yeah, it was around that time, exactly. That's, uh, That's the time period it was.
3: Well, you know, thanks for sharing that story. I know probably not a great memory, but uh, obviously <laughs> something that uh, that didn't slow you down. It was, it was such a striking photo. I, I had to get in touch with you about it. So, uh, you know, pre, I think people did appreciate that you shared that. Nathan Dempsey joining us on Inside Sports Tonight, former uh, NHL defenseman. You you were a Toronto Maple Leaf. You did play playoff games in the Maple Leafs. I mentioned the game with Washington is is tied three three early in the third. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> you, you 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 live this to some extent wasn't in the in the twitter and social media age but did you just watch some of these playoff games in toronto and like yeah i've seen that
2: yeah i mean it's similar to the environment around here right i mean if you just the the whole city just gets the lamp up over it Uh, it's um um it's the only it's really the only game in town i mean they do a great fantastic job the blue jays and and the raptors i mean the city gets on board and they definitely support their their franchises but um, looking back to when I was uh, playing in the playoffs in Toronto i just uh, I couldn't believe the support and the excitement and the i mean everything is just amplified by ten times as far as when you're around the rink and when you're playing just um um you know I can appreciate some of the pressures that those young guys are feeling and i mean man they uh they definitely have a lot of poise and uh maturity for their age when you look at the ability that they're doing right now and not being able to be too phased by it. Uh, Man, I still have have appreciation for what those guys are going through, for sure.
3: Yeah, I I didn't see this, that they'd be standing in there this tough against the Washington Capitals. And I think, I don't have the sound on, I think Shattenkirk just shot the puck over the glass and is going to give the – he's going off, so the Leafs get a power play with 16.26 to go. Nathan, uh, you're obviously a proud Edmontonian as well. The Oilers finally back in the postseason. I had a clip from Todd McClellan earlier in the show about their – their commitment to defense, and uh, I've been watching the Oilers for a long time, and it's been a long time since a game was scoreless after two periods, and as an observer, I felt entirely comfortable, and that aspect of their game, as much as they got two of the top ten scorers in the league, that that, uh, responsibility in their game has just increased tenfold under McClellan and his staff.
2: Uh, no question, Reid. I mean, what I've been really impressed with is their ability to win to win in different ways. And I think you mentioned it, like near the end of the season, they had those couple of games where they were, you know, scoring six or seven and and getting their their wins through there. And then, you know, their ability to stay so poised and in control. And 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 yeah, just not really giving up much like they had in the last two games is just something that you can really be proud of. I think it has a lot to do with with Todd and uh, and the way that he is seems as though to me and talking with some guys that I know is that he is just so even keel and uh, you can really see it in the players um, that they they don't get too high, they don't get too low, nothing seems to rattle them too much, they seem to really have um, the right details and the right things in mind when when they approach every game and um, you know, which, whichever way you want to swing it, whichever way you want to play it, they're more than capable of of playing that way. And um, you know, you're you're going to have to win in different ways. You're going to have to have some goaltending, obviously. You're going to have to score some goals, and obviously, I mean, you, the defensive part of the game is a huge part in playoffs. So. It's been impressive. I mean, I, I really like the way they responded after that game one and, again, didn't panic too much. They knew what they needed to correct. They knew what they wanted to do, and they, they made the adjustments and did it.
3: You mean, you've been in, in pro dressing rooms, AHL, NHL, and look, Todd McClellan, as we referenced, has done a great job. But I had Andrew Ference on the show earlier, and he talked about buy-in. So I want to ask you kind of a similar question: Where does the buy-in have to start? Does it does it come from the personality of the coach? Does an offensive player like Connor McDavid have to buy in and say, "No, we listen to the coach all the time. We don't freelance." How do you see it from your experience? Yeah,
2: from my experience, if you really want to get buy-in from from a, from the team, you need to have your top-end guys have buy-in. You Need those guys to be the first ones to be not only not only saying the right things, but but it, but playing the right way. And um, you know, I think you can see from a lot of the guys, especially when you look at Nuge, the way he's playing that 200-foot game. And I think Jordan's really played played a different style of hockey this year, where he's been a lot more responsible on the on the defensive side of things. And the fact that they got Lucic, who um, you know can play that way. But if you can get the buy-in from those guys and they understand what what the details are there that are very important to winning uh, and are playing the right way, then that's when you get everybody to, to follow that lead. And um, once that happens, then you're away to the races. it's um it's a pretty exciting thing to be a part of when, when it starts clicking and everybody's pulling in the right direction.
3: Nathan Dempsey joining us. You're uh, the, the campus director at, uh, at Vimy Ridge. I, I know you're doing great work there. Just tell us about how you've enjoyed, uh, uh enjoyed this chapter of your life and, uh, some of the things, I, I guess we're, you know, through uh, most of the hockey season now, but just kind of, uh, how, how, what kind of a year it's been at Vimy Ridge.
2: Yeah, we're really, uh, we're really proud of the way that things are going at the school at Dinger Ridge. We uh, we have a lot of fantastic teachers and a lot of fantastic people that work with me at the hockey program that have a lot of passion and and uh, just really want to teach these kids a lot of the, the right things to, as far as skill development goes. We uh, we're a skill development uh, school. We we make sure that we're making sure we're taking care of a lot of the details. Is is making sure that we're not concentrating too much on systems or anything like that. We just want to make sure we're. we're for formatting and having the foundation of a solid skill base. Um, In the same part, we really take a lot of pride in having a lot of accountability at the school, making sure that the kids are taking care of the school first and making um, the priority list uh, uh, as it it should be, where they're becoming good character people, making sure that their academics are solid, and then uh, getting the opportunity, of course, to, to develop their skills during school time is something that is very exciting for them, so we want to make sure that they know it's a great opportunity for them, uh, and in, and in uh, response that they they owe us uh, the uh, the effort and the enthusiasm to go along with it. So uh, I have a tremendous amount of fun working with kids. Um, my parents and my uncles have come from a, a long line of school teachers, so I have a lot of respect for for the uh, for the position of a teacher. And, um, I'm just more than a, just I got a, a dream job after my all, already having a dream job so the fact that I get to be around kids and and show my passion and enthusiasm for the for the great game is is uh is just awesome to me
3: yeah well Nathan I love talking to you. you you bring so much enthusiasm and I enjoy your perspective on the game and thanks for uh telling that story about the picture you tweeted out and I promise we're not going to go so long between uh interviews this time okay man
2: yeah, no, I love it, Reed.
3: Thanks for calling. That is Nathan Dempsey checking in tonight. Former NHL defenseman, now the campus director at uh, Vimy Ridge. Yeah, check out his his Twitter account, n Dempsey21. Or I retweeted it. My mine is just r e i d w i l k i n s. It is. Uh, I mean, you, when you see the photo, you almost wonder if it's, you know, makeup from a horror movie or something like that. But it was, it was stunning the uh, the skate cut he got playing in the minors in the big nineties. But luckily, he was okay. And uh, Zach Borensky tried to battle through that last night, but he's not going to be able to come back after taking a puck to the face. All right, still three-three. Uh, the Leafs weren't able to score on that power play. Twelve minutes left. 63 four nine six zero zero six three. We're going to welcome Jared on the open line when we get back.
1: This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630
3: Chet. Cam Talbot, 39 straight saves, 120 minutes without allowing a goal. Back-to-back shutouts. The Oilers lead the Sharks 2-1 in their best of seven series. 780-496-0063. Jared is standing by. Good evening, Jared. Hi, Reed. How are you? I'm doing quite well. You must be happy these days.
1: Yes, yeah, and you know, it's interesting after watching the first and second and third games, I remembered a game that I saw, a midget a game, a game five of an Alberta final at Jasper Place Arena in the early 90s. And the Edmonton team had a 6-0 lead going into the third, but by halfway through the third period, it was 6-5. Okay. And there was nothing that they could do to stop this onslaught. It was like the ice had been tilted. So the the Edmonton coach called a timeout, and they iced the puck afterwards about nine or ten consecutive times, and it broke the momentum. And my point is, in the first game, during that whole time when San Jose was dominating Edmonton, Todd McClellan, the coach, he never did anything to stop that momentum of the game, like whether it's double or triple shifting, Connor McDavid, or doing whatever. But in the second and third game, they never allowed... San Jose any momentum. So if the play wasn't there, they just lifted into the neutral zone. They just chipped it off the glass. And therefore, San Jose has to try to set up again and come back into the Oilers' zone. But once they, in the first game, they were trying to make all these almost perfect plays to get out of their zone, San Jose just hemmed them in. And sometimes, even though you don't get the change anymore, icing the puck can really uh, change the game. Even in basketball, like when Michael Jordan was playing uh, Phil Jackson would do whatever, if there was a run of another team, he would either, like in, we have double shifting Carmack David, he would make sure Michael Jordan always got the ball, or when he was in LA, Kobe Bryant always got the ball to break that momentum. And I think that that point, like even in all these other series, is a critical point, because the best of seven, I think, is so much different than just having a single game and the strategy. Comes, comes into play much more. And just the other comment I'd like to make all Carter McDavid is, is everyone saying, well, maybe he's not producing, but he made a comment in against the last game against Anaheim where he said, it's taken me a little while to figure them out. And that just goes to show you how smart of a guy he is. He's just kind of lurking, but he's just playing good enough so the Oilers can win. But you know that maybe if they're behind 2 nothing in a game, he could lash out and get a couple quick goals, and I don't think he really cares who gets the game-winning goal, whether it's Zach Cassian or whoever, and it's similar to Sidney Crosby in last year's Stanley Cup Finals. He never got a goal, but he didn't care as long as they won, and it goes to show you how mature and how smart Connor McDavid is, but I think that if the time comes where they need him, he will turn up his game, but he's just playing good enough so they can win, but he has many extra gears, I think.
3: Well, I, th- I think the Sharks have been checking him tight. He- he's too good to be kept off the score sheet for an entire series. You're right. I don't think this year's version of the Oilers cares at all who the star of the game is, as long as there's a win at the end. I guess the only thing I would say about the icing thing was that would have been different rules, right? Because if you did have the NHL, you'd have to have the same guys out on the ice the whole time. But that's an interesting story from that game you watched. Jared will probably talk to you tomorrow after the game or maybe on Wednesday, okay? Okay, have a good night, Reed. Thank you. That is Jared checking in. More time for Oilers Chat. And we're also going to catch up with uh, an Edmontonian who uh, this morning ran the Boston Marathon. What did you do this morning? (laughs) This guy ran 26 miles. We're going to catch up with A.J. Rankle. We'll keep you updated on the hockey scores as well. Still 3-3, Washington and Toronto. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chen. Mark Letestu, two assists in the playoffs so far. The Oilers have scored just five goals in three games. But they've only allowed three, all in game one. They lead the Sharks two games to one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Still 3 3 Washington and Toronto. Three minutes left in the third. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. The Senators and the Bruins still tied 3 3. Four minutes left in the third. Both series tied 1 1. Chicago and Nashville just starting. Predators are up 2 0 in the series. Chicago has not scored a goal. Ducks and flames start in about half an hour. Calgary back home after, as usual, losing in Anaheim. You can text 63630. George has written in. He says, north of the city, it's snowing and the visibility sucks. Can you tell the idiots to turn on their lights? George, I'm not just going to tell the idiots to turn on their lights. I'm going to tell everybody to turn on their lights, smart people included, if the visibility is that bad. Yeah, unfortunate the uh, the weather that we're getting here lately. Looked like spring was here to stay. About, what, week and a half ago? Winter quickly returned, at least a mild form of winter. I mean, it could be a lot worse. But, uh, yeah, if, I mean, we're still getting snow in the area, so drive safe and, uh, yeah, turn your lights on if it's... A little hard to see, eh, Warren? Can I ask why you pointed at me when you said, I'm not just going to tell the idiots? <laughs> well, I was just randomly, I just like to gesture while I speak. I, I, did I point at you when I said the word idiots? It, it sort of looked like it. It's, well, like you think I would be that. You're over-interpreting. You're over-analyzing my, my gestures. I'm like Hamlet. How are you like Hamlet. He over, he overthinks Oh, uh, he overthought. <laughs> wow, there's, a, there's a reference out of the blue. <laughs> Working a little uh, Shakespeare tonight. His, his forward bolvi. Out, damn spot, out, I say. What a rogue and peasant slave am I? All right, you certainly are. Um, thanks for the text, though. Seriously, though, if it's snowing, obviously take it easy. Turn your lights on so people can see you. So I, I said earlier, and we're gonna get to marathon runner A.J. Rankle in a few minutes here. If from Boston, he ran the Boston Marathon this morning, he's a firefighter here in Edmonton uh, I can't remember how we got into it, the Big L texted in something about uh, the Oilers turning things around and I said in my mind the-, the McDavid draft lottery win like the actual lottery day when they won the lottery the most significant moment in the history of the Oilers and the big L says, uh, "I would rank the Oilers' good fortunes as follows: Hunter bringing the team here, getting Gretzky, getting Messier, the '90s ownership group, the McDavid lottery win, fifth. See, I guess. See, I guess I wouldn't count, you know, drafting whether it's Messier or Anderson or Drysail or whoever. I, I wouldn't necessarily describe that as good fortune because you kind of you had to do something about it." So certainly the, the luckiest thing, the luckiest thing that has ever happened to the Oilers is, is, is winning Connor McDavid. Now the biggest, and I still think, I mean, obviously, okay, the origin of the team, we sure there's nothing else happens if we don't get that. So for me, I would leave that off the list. Um, I mean, a, a, a more significant acquisition given the circumstances Gretzky or McDavid, that's a heck of a debate. I mean, you the, the NHL was different when Gretzky played. He was actually still acquired by the Oilers when they were in the World Hockey Association. There's that story where, oh, was the plane going to go to Winnipeg or Edmonton? I mean, I don't know. People can text six thirty six thirty or call 780-496-0063. We're, we're, I'm probably splitting hairs here, as I, as I do sometimes. But I just think the most significant moment... In the, in the history of the Edmonton Oilers is when they won the McDavid Draft Lottery. I mean, at that time, what was it, nine years out of the playoffs, they'd already had three first overall picks and hadn't gotten any better, really. And, you know, there was all the criticism about the old boys club and, and bad management and always changing coaches and all that kind of stuff. And then what happens... Shortly after McDavid, you know Craig McTavish is replaced as general manager by Peter Shirelli. Todd McClellan, an established NHL head coach, comes in. Could could have those? I mean, both those guys were looking for work, so they so they very well might have come here anyway. We'll never know for sure, right? But uh, I just think that that draft lottery win is the, the the biggest thing that has ever happened to the Oilers. You get a guy like McDavid and and you've already seen the impact. And look, Edmonton's a an incredible hockey market as as all the Canadian cities are. I mean, the passion is incredible. All the buildings are loud. Though, well, you know, I'd put Edmonton up there with anybody. But you see the impact of getting that type of player. I've never heard MVP chanted in the building before, and that's why that was so huge and that's why i mean you think of the big first overall picks in other sports they're they're all important but lebron james basketball's different cuz a star can take over the game in basketball more so than he can individually in hockey but think of what he has meant to the two teams he has played for not just the winning but paying att- you know getting your team national or even international attention being considered relevant, selling jerseys, getting fans more involved. And look, the show is called Inside Sports, so I'm assuming most of you are huge sports fans and you've always been paying attention to the Oilers. But think of your office, family, schoolmates, whatever. How many more people are engaged because A. McDavid came and then the team became relevant? I mean, I had a five-minute conversation with a coworker today who I didn't think would know anything beyond sports besides doing their research, you know, for preparing their sports casts to read on Cheddar I News. A person who was telling me who was sitting down and making a point to watch the games and has been tweeting about them and has been entirely engaged. I mean Marty Klinkenberg wrote that book, the the McDavid Effect. There it is right there. You you captivate people who would otherwise have limited or no interest in your team, even in that market. And, and as much as we know Edmonton's a hockey-mad market, I'm sure we all know people who aren't that into sports or don't really care or might watch the odd game, but they don't live and die by it like a lot of us do. But that, to me, that's what McDavid has been able to maybe rekindle for some people and ignite in others. Because you, you, you can't not get drawn into what he is doing and as a, and as a result what the team is doing as a whole anyway just some thoughts one person texted in says gretzky over connor was bigger 100 i mean it's I, I don't know if there's a wrong answer i'm just telling you what i believe and 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 why i believe it i was obviously a lot younger person when i mean i was five or six how old was i I was five when the Oilers joined the NHL. So to me, that was just the reality of it. Uh, This texture says, Reed, do you think the Oilers passed the puck around too much? I would think if they shot the puck on a few more plays, they would have a better chance of winning. Well, we've talked about that all year, uh, Rob Brown and I as well. I mean, look, I, I think sometimes you have to trust what the player sees on the ice. Todd McClellan and his coaching staff want a high volume of shots for sure. I don't think overpassing is a huge weakness for the team. I mean, it always whenever there's a pass and then the guy misses the net or gets tipped, you're like, why didn't the first guy shoot? But there's also been dozens of occasions this year, especially with McDavid or Drysital, when. You've thought, oh my God, what's he? Oh, that's what he saw, and then it's a great scoring chance or a goal. So I, I don't, uh, I don't deliver that. Uh, a big problem here as a big problem for the team. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. We'll take a quick timeout and then we'll be back with Edmonton firefighter A J Rankle, who ran the Boston Marathon this morning. <laughs> This is Oscar Clefbrom from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reid Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. Well, quite a story. Washington and Toronto going to overtime for the third time in the series. It's 3-3 tonight in Toronto. The series is tied 1-1. There will also be overtime between Ottawa and Boston. They're even at 3. Nashville and Chicago just underway. No score early. Ducks and Flames coming up at the top of the hour. Four playoff games tonight. Oilers-Sharks tomorrow on 630 Chat. Face-off show at 6. The game will start at 8. Don't forget, you can go watch the uh, Orange Crush Road Game watch party at Rogers Place. Tickets are on sale through the Oilers website. They're just 5 bucks. You can go watch on the uh, Giant scoreboard at Rogers Place. The doors will open at 7. The game at 8. All net proceeds going to the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation. So the Boston Marathon was this morning several Edmontonians and Northern Albertans completing the race, including A.J. Rankle. A.J., welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, congratulations on completing the Boston Marathon. How many is this now for you?
0: This is number eight for me this year.
3: Uh, okay, so this said how many marathons total have you done in your life?
0: Uh, I think this is number 41. Oh, so wow. Getting, uh, getting uh, you know, sort of up there. My my legs are just about miled out, I think.
3: <laughs> How old are you, AJ? Uh, 47. 47. And when did you get into distance running?
0: Uh, I ran my first marathon in 1992. That was sort of the first Edmonton Marathon. And uh, it's noteworthy because the 25th anniversary is coming up this year.
3: Right on. So, all right, so you've been doing it a while. What first sparked you to to try it out? Every runner has a different story, and usually an interesting story, about why they decided to tackle it.
0: This time it was not smart. I had a a friend of mine who uh, basically said on Wednesday, we're going to do the marathon on Sunday, we're going to have to go buy shoes. And I hung up the phone on him, and then he phoned back, and so we did. We bought shoes on thursday went for a run on friday and did the the marathon on sunday which was not not recommended to any listeners out there uh and then you know what it was awful but at the same time it was sort of uh gripping right and i thought well it I wonder what it would be like if I trained for one of these things.
3: <laughs> well, that's quite a way to dive into the uh, the distance running scene by making your first run a marathon. You're right, the opposite of what a lot of people do. Uh, yeah, exactly. A, a great story today, but before I get to that, what uh, w- what do you like most about running? What keeps you going back?
0: Uh, you know what? The marathon is always a challenge, right? And no matter where you are in your, in your sort of, stage of running it it can always be an experiment of one and uh you know that maybe the glory days are past but but you can still try and solve the, the marathon problem that that you're you know currently in at this stage of your of your running career right so the challenge is always there the times may not be but uh it's just uh, it's just a fun a fun challenge for sure
3: aj what do you do for a living i work for the
0: uh fire department
3: Okay, so you're in a you're in a line of work where you have to be fairly physically fit to begin with, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you have any fellow runners in the fire department?
0: There are, you know what? There's a few marathoners. There's a few uh, guys that do our uh, uh, fire fit challenge. There's a few guys that do the ultra marathons. Uh, certainly, a a culture of fitness exists in the fire department, and uh, people like to do their own thing, right? So. Um, it's, it just depends on if you wanted to do anything, you'd find a firefighter that would do it with you. <laughs> <Right. laughs> kind
3: of neat that way. <laughs> all right, so this was your eighth Boston Marathon. Uh, you've done over 40 marathons total, but tell us why today was, they're all special and unique in their own way, but why was today even extra special? Who'd you have with you?
0: Well, I wasn't going to come back to Boston, but then our oldest son qualified in Toronto, and uh, my wife said if he ever qualifies and goes, we're all going, and so by George, here we are as a family. Uh, So Christine and Noah did uh, the 5K on Saturday, and Dominic and I did the marathon today. And uh, he didn't have his best day, but we ran together, and... um, you know we got a lot of photos taken together and uh, there's probably a limited amount of time we're ever going to be able to run together and uh, it was it was super cool. lots of lots of fun and uh, being there for his first Boston was really special.
3: and he's twenty four? You bet. yeah. All right. so I mean, you sort of touched on it, but just what was that like going stride for stride with with your son like that and sharing the course with him?
0: Well, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because ideally, You'd like to both be running well, right? And and then running stride for stride. But at the same time, if one one of the other is is hurting a bit, it's it's you feel for the person, right? And he he was uh, maybe not having his best day or not running as as he could run, and uh, it just I. I would have preferred he had a strong race and left me in the dust. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay.
3: Fair enough. All right. So I, I know you're enjoying a night out in Boston here with your family. I, I just want to ask you one more. How how many, you you want to do Edmonton, how many more marathons this summer? What are, What's your upcoming schedule here, AJ? You
0: know what I'm doing? I'm doing Edmonton for sure because I, I still have the T-shirt from 1992. So I'll be, I'll be wearing that one. And then... Uh, I'll see. That might be the only one uh, coming up in 2017.
3: Okay. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best, and thanks for telling your story as it relates to the Boston Marathon today. Uh, You made it to the finish line, so that's the main thing, right? Thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thanks for the call. A.J. Rankle, he and his son Dominic running together in the Boston Marathon. A.J. now with 41 marathons under his belt, eighth time at the Boston Marathon. And Warren, as you probably know, you can't just run the Boston Marathon. You have to meet a time standard in another sanctioned race to get in. I didn't know that, Well, actually. there you go. You've been educated. Is, is,
1: are there several different races where you can Oh, get-
3: sure. There are several Boston qualifiers. Absolutely. But you have to meet a time standard. I mean, I, I, I run fairly regularly. I'm by no means at AJ's level. And I've run two marathons. I may not do any more because, my God, they were painful. But but, uh, somebody said to me, are are you going to run the Boston Marathon? And I said, I I am so – I don't even know. why I'd probably be – even if I ran a really good marathon, I would probably be at over an hour over the qualifying time for my age group. So you have to be a pretty good runner just to get into the Boston Marathon. Uh, several other Edmontonians ran today, so congratulations to everybody who finished. That's a great story for, uh, for AJ to get out there and finish the race. Unfortunately, the uh, running, somebody texted in earlier about uh, snow north of the city. Unfortunately, the weather not conducive to running outside. I may go for a run after work, probably in, in the rec center. Because uh, I don't like the cold and the ice. You do see people running out there in the middle of winter. They have, like, ice cleats on or something? I don't know what they have. Or they're just really nimble, perhaps. More nimble than I am. All right, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, we're winding her down tonight. The other voice you heard, Warren Mulvey. He's been the studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. So here's the latest in the NHL. Capitals and Maple Leafs about to start overtime. They're tied 3-3 in Game 3. The Senators and the Bruins are tied 3-3 in Game 3. Ottawa was up 3-0 in the second period. Boston tied it. Before the end of the middle frame, no scoring in the third. So they're going to overtime. Chicago and Nashville underway. They're about five minutes in. No score in that game. The Predators at home with a 2-0 series lead. Ducks and Flames will start uh, in about 10 or 12 minutes down the highway. Calgary trying to get back in that series. Anaheim up two games to nothing. We were talking about that hit stat earlier in the show with Jack Michaels. (laughs) The Sharks credited with 58 hits. Just remember this: technically, it's not supposed to be a hit unless the other team gets the puck. Like the team delivering the hit should not get credit for a hit unless they get the puck as the result of the body contact. So it's not always, uh, you know, so accurately recorded. But there has been a lot of body contact and tight checking in the Oilers-San Jose series, which will continue tomorrow, right here on 6:30, Chet. Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon to 2. Face-off show starts at 6. Rob Brown will join me. Puck will drop at 8. Oilers up 2-1 in the best of seven. Thanks to our guests tonight. You heard from A.J. Ranko, marathon runner, Nathan Dempsey, former NHL defenseman, now campus director at Vibby Ridge, Oilers play-by-play voice, Jack Michaels, and former Oilers captain, Andrew Ferrets. If you missed anything, go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com or sign up for the podcast. Same deal with Bob's show, Oilers Now. He had Wayne Gretzky on the show today. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. Charles Adler tonight is next.